2: Wednesday night, very late edition of the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. Three games to get to today, starting off with the Houston Rockets overcoming Russell Westbrook's 51 points and 43 shots. 115-111 115-111 over the Thunder. Also got to get to a nice victory for the Wizards as they take it to a 2-0 series lead despite a foul-marred contest, 109-101 over the Hawks. And then the Warriors absolutely destroying Portland, 110-81 to 81 in the nightcap, a game that Danny and I were at. Uh, we brought to you today. By a new sponsor, Audible.com. Turn your time where your hands are occupied but your ears are free into something more with a free trial at Audible. Go to Audible.com/capspace to start now and also CISO. Go to CISO.com right now and sign up for two weeks free using the promo code CAPSPACE at checkout. All right, let's get rolling here with what I'm sure was the main event tonight, a game I wish we'd been able to do, Twitter NBA show for, just because of a performance by Russell Westbrook that in some ways doubled down on everything that he has been in this crazy year in which he will likely win MVP.
1: In the first three quarters, Westbrook had 36 points, nine rebounds, 11 Eleven assists on 13 to 25 shooting only one of four from three and then in the fourth quarter 15 points four of 18 from the field one of seven from three
2: and only two assists as well which was perhaps even the bigger problem there on only three
1: made baskets by any other guy
2: yeah yeah i went back and watched some of russ's shots here and I thought that the disparity between the first half and the second half was a huge one. And we'll get, there's a lot of, lot of nuance to his performance, uh, which is surprising to say because, you know, he basically just, <laughs> his approach just seems to be to like batter himself against the castle doors until it either falls or he knocks himself out. Uh, but in the first half, I counted him taking two awful shots, although he was also bailed out on three other awful shots by fouls uh, as he was taking jumpers. In the second half, I counted him taking 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 terrible shots. Admittedly, that's subjective, especially for a guy like Russ, who takes a lot of contested jumpers. You know, what's what's an a, a okay shot for him and what's like a really terrible shot? But he definitely got real selfish in the second half and I think, I think that's pretty much undeniable would you agree with that
1: yeah i mean he, he did have two assists on three made baskets in that fourth quarter by other guys but that's not enough
2: no it's not and just to give you an idea of how they're playing and again this is something that we've talked about a lot especially down the any games they have you know it's been ride or die with russ taking every shot in the fourth quarter and i think he had like you know a 66 percent usage rate in the, in the fourth quarter Fred Katz said uh The Thunder had only 238 passes in this game, despite a a high number of possessions. And to give you some perspective, usually the lowest team in the league will have about 270 passes per game. It it wouldn't shock me if 238 passes was like, you know, one of like the very lowest marks in any game uh, this season. Uh, But, you know, I would have to go back and check that. But that's just based on looking at that stat for once in a while. Um, and you know he's asked to initiate everything and other than Victor Oladipo there's really nobody else on this team who can dribble so that's definitely a problem uh, or at least hope of doing anything off the dribble that's going to develop something good uh, so that's an issue as well but overall I mean they put up 111 points on 98 possessions in this game uh, they had a 113 offensive rating for the game so despite his crazy line which was 51 points on 52 shooting possessions 13 assists uh, also had uh, the holy grail triple double uh, in rebounds as well his team put up a really efficient game. And part of you know, we noted the two hundred and thirty-eight passes. They also only turned it over seven times in the whole game, and he only turned it over four times, which is incredible considering, you know, the forty-three shot attempts that he took and the number of assists that he had. Uh so you know, there is a little bit more to it here, but certainly it's clear that when it's not quite working for him, uh, it can look very, very ugly for this Thunder team. And that's what happened in the fourth quarter.
1: And it's also true that it looked un- ugly for the Thunder when Westbrook was not on the floor. This was not some sort of circumstance where the other part of the story was different or oh what if you know what if these other guys that had gotten their shots Victor Oladipo four for 14 from the field McDermott was a surprising four for five Oladipo
2: now yeah yeah we should talk about that Oladipo now was one of 12 in the first game so that makes him five out of 26 for the series and uh I think he is one of 13 from three
1: Robertson was making some twos including a putback one of the only shots Russell Westbrook didn't take down the stretch but the Thunder Still have that identity problem of just having other players who are capable, and there were parts of it that that did look better in some of the rotational issues. But they don't have enough outside of him, and he is too comfortable taking those bad shots.
2: Well, here's the other thing you know you mentioned when he was off the floor. They lost this game by four, and he was plus eleven. Now that's a little misleading because they were down by like six or eight down the very end, and then you know they just kind of hit some lucky shots. in the last minute when the Rockets weren't really trying that hard and had a couple of turnovers. So, you know, that's probably a little bit misleading. But, you know, if this were a 40-minute game that Russell Westbrook could play the entire game of, maybe they win it. You know, it, it's still... Uh, Samajin Kristen was negative 15 in seven minutes. So maybe maybe this is, you know, it, it, it's hard to argue that this isn't an effective way to play uh when he's plus 11 for game. Now, there was a marked difference, as I noted, with the awful shot counter of how he played in the first half and the second half. And part of that I think is you know, just to, that he has this mentality that it, he has to try harder, which try, trying harder means taking more shots. Or it, it means that uh they're also going to play with all these defenders on the floor, which they did down the stretch. Of, I mean, because it was tied really go- until there were about three, four minutes left in the game. Um and, and then Houston went on a nice run as they struggled and Russ was taking some horrible jumpers and Houston really defended him pretty well d- during that time period. But, you know, it, it basically gets to the point when some of these lineups they put out there that he just can't attack the basket anymore he was so good attacking the basket in the first half and when he can attack the basket and there's some space then he can actually like pass the guys too uh which you know he didn't really have that option throughout much of the fourth quarter um I mean we can get into a little bit more of kind of what the game flow is but I, I did think it too was very instructive that they had a great run at the start of the second quarter when they brought out a lineup really for the first time this season that I can recall it was Oladipo, who, you know, at least can pretend to make a shot, even though he hasn't in this series. Doug McDermott, who you mentioned was fantastic, uh, with his offense, although he was still negative seven in 14 minutes. And uh Kyle Singler, who's white, so they feel like they have to guard him a little bit out <laughs> by the three point line. And then Steven Adams, a great role man. And Russ played very unselfishly with that unit. He dimed up McDermott a couple of times for threes, another time for uh, they're running like a little horn set with a pick and roll with Adams and Russ on one side and McDermott uh at the other elbow flashing up to the top of the key and Houston really had trouble guarding that uh, so I do think it's possible that he can play less selfishly if he has more around him he ignored McDermott a couple of times when he was open in the second half but you know at that time I think he was just like all right you know I, I gotta go and do this myself for, for better or for worse and it was for worse
1: one of the other stories for me of this game and it feels bad that we've spent so much time talking about the team who lost but there were a few situations where Donovan I thought he did a better job with his rotations but there were a few what i call no chance lineups and that idea is really where there isn't a, a thing for them to hang their hat on offensively or defensively without westbrook on the floor Samaje sabonis was in for a little bit of that time kyle yeah, singler he, he
2: played he played uh he only played two minutes oddly uh but it seemed like he played more than that but uh yeah you're saying you're saying singler i mean he yeah I, I don't know about singler i guess he just felt like hey you know we needed someone who can kind of pretend to shoot but yeah and, and singler i think actually you know is a little bit underrated as a defender as long as he doesn't have to guard like you know a point guard out in space
1: yeah which he had to do a couple times but yeah (laughs) just there was there were some lineups there that that didn't have much of a shot and houston really knew how to 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 do that and houston has a very deep squad with a lot of capable offensive players and so if you put a lineup out there against them that isn't going to do much they're going to go on a run and that's part of how Samaje had such a bad plus minus game
2: yeah that's true too i mean i still think i was glad that they he only played some seven minutes at least he didn't play him next or westbrook this time and no norris <laughs> call yeah yeah no norris call they definitely made some improvements right Cantor only played eight minutes or i guess we should just call him can't play him <laughs> like k-a-n-t k-a-n-t can't play him <laughs> because donovan had that uh that video where he was saying that to, to mo cheeks on the bench so they put can't play him out there for four minutes just basically the four minutes that harden rested in the first half and which really helped a lot uh And then it was weird, though, in the second half that when Adams got in foul trouble, because they tried to run out that same lineup at the start of the fourth quarter, and then Adams got in foul trouble. And rather than go to Taj Gibson at center, they just went with first Sabonis at center, and then they went with Cantor, and that really made no sense at all.
1: And then they also compounded that by it's not like Taj Gibson was playing such heavy minutes late in the game that they were needing to save him. They ended up turning as Donovan has a couple times in the late, late time in the season to Jeremy Grant. So if you're not going to rely heavily on Taj Gibson, you know, just use him as that gap filler and and handle it from there.
2: So a few other things I guess we can say about OKC before we turn to the game flow and also give Houston their just due. Don't worry, Houston fans. Uh, you'll get plenty of love. Russ was only five out of 14 at the rim. And I mean, 14 shots at the rim for a guard is just an incredible number. Uh, But, you know, a lot of those are in transition. He just, he flies at the rim so hard that it's just really impossible for him to get touch on a lot of these shots. You know, and if he gets a little bit of a bump, you know, he doesn't have any kind of a floater game you know, he's not even really necessarily going to, you know, he's just going a thousand miles an hour at the rim. And a lot of times he'll either leave it short or it's just going to carry him too hard off the backboard. Like it's just naturally really hard when you're flying that hard at the rim, especially off a of two feet, the way he does. Um, to have much touch on it and you know he's always shot a low percentage at the rim and this this game was no exception uh i thought that Clint capella really changed the game quite a bit uh at the start of the fourth quarter when they had to bring russ back in because they were getting killed again you know he didn't get much of a rest and capella actually stopped okc drivers including russ four straight times within like the first three minutes of the fourth quarter and then russ got a little gun shy of trying to go inside especially once they went to the no spacing lineups and then it was just terrible jumper after terrible jumper and you know he wasn't able to keep up with a houston team that really uh started heating up from three point range finally uh in that fourth quarter
1: capella was also able to impact impact plays without blocking shots he did have three blocks in that fourth quarter four overall but he changed them he was in the middle of a Lot of different plays and as you said one of the biggest impacts of a good rim protector which capella was at least in that fourth quarter is deterrence and that deterrence forced westbrook to become the player that is kind of his worst case scenario in some of these circumstances
2: yeah i think that's right uh, okay c's defense was better i thought than in game one they at least stopped Houston centers. They at least took something away. And moreover, they also held Houston to fewer three-point attempts than they did in game one. Although Houston shot better at 38%, uh, 11 out of 29 but then they just couldn't keep James Harden off the foul line. And Harden was 18 out of 20, 7 out of 17 from the field, 3 of 7 on 3s. He had uh, 35 points, only 8 assists. And Houston was only having 20 assists. I mean, I thought that was pretty decent uh, for OKC as well. So they did make some baby steps defensively. A lot of that was helped by just not playing canter, and, you know, just having better pick and roll defenders out there. Uh, and I think just getting used to them as well. Uh, from Houston's standpoint, Ryan Anderson has really struggled in this series he had four points 0 of seven from three uh we declared him back from that ankle injury I don't know if that has to do with it or just simply that he's been off but uh they definitely need something for him and, and uh Anderson was negative 18 in this game as well he he provides a place for them to attack you know and pick and roll coverage as well so that that'll be interesting I think we'll see more of you know Trevor Ariza at the four Ariza also was excellent guarding Westbrook I liked especially once Westbrook went into jumper mode I liked them going with a little bit more length on him Ariza, knowing that if they blew by him you know beverly is good but he he's easy easier for westbrook to post up on on those uh right block post-ups where he likes to go over his left shoulder and uh, you know, Westbrook can also shoot over him, whereas Ariza is really going to challenge those. And then they knew they had plenty of help at the rim because, you know, there are these really shooting challenged uh, lineups out there for OKC.
1: And while, of course, some of the attribution goes to Oklahoma City playing some bad bench players, I thought Houston's bench was very important in this game. Both Lou Williams and Eric Gordon were able to get their shot much more reliably than before. And I thought Nene was not as good as Capella. I thought Capella, even though the plus minuses go the other way, I thought Capella played a nice game. Nene was another positive contributor and Houston only played eight guys in this one again
2: yeah i mean the, there's nobody really off the bench that you would expect but each of their bench guys played over 20 minutes you know and you mentioned that gordon with 22 points lou williams with 21 those guys were both 8 of 14 from the field and they combined for six out of 10 on threes as well so hitting uh some big shots and uh, patrick beverly had another sterling game as well he had 15 points six and nine from the field hit maybe one of the biggest shots a, a right corner three uh, that put houston up late as well so that that was very solid for the Rockets I mean and it was a good company they trailed 86-74 late in the third quarter and then Westbrook went out and by the time he came back in the lead was basically gone already even though he'd only sat for like two
0: minutes.
1: How does what happened in this game whether you want to focus more on the first half or Westbrook played so well or the fourth quarter where he struggled and the Rockets played very well in totality how did this change the way or did it change the way that you feel about this series?
2: I feel better about it for OKC because I think Donovan made most of the adjustments that we suggested for him um you know I still think he should dump Kristen completely and go with Oladipo at backup point guard but you know it's not like Oladipo has been killing it here either uh so I mean as bad as he's been but at least you know the, the other team respects him so I like that he, he minimized Cantor, uh, got McDermott some more playing time I think he could even play even more but, but you saw how much more competitive there would be when he kind of excised the low hanging fruit from some of the mistakes that he's made now Will we see Westbrook get a little bit more egalitarian at home? I think that especially if it, they can get a little bit of a lead. He feels more comfortable you know, getting more people involved. And will Donovan also go to get more shooting on the floor? I mean, they, they have gone with Robertson to be sure, but Harden, they really have not stopped him at all. They fouled him a ton. You know, so maybe Robertson played 37 minutes and he did have 12.7 offensive rebounds, which was incredible as OKC racked up uh, 17 offensive rebounds as a team. Uh, and then maybe if Steven Adams could stay out of foul trouble, he fouled out in 27 minutes. Uh, and he was plus 18 in this one. He was was a key figure. Uh, Obviously, his minutes matched up with Russ a little bit more. So I think they they found a formula to do a little bit better. I think if they go home, I I like them to win game three. Um, You know, I don't think they're winning the series, but this has not been that different really of a series than what I necessarily expected it to be so far. It was just that OKC's strategy was so bad in game one that I think that that kind of really limited them. Whereas now, you know, this is a competitive loss for them on the road against a good team, you know, nothing to hang their heads over.
1: This made me much more confident that this could be a longer series. Like after game one, you're sitting there going, oh, how is OKC going to put this together other than Russ just having a magnificent game, which he is always capable of. But here you saw some of the defensive elements a little bit earlier. Of course, Harden getting to the line so much is is certainly a, a concern of theirs moving forward. But I saw more of, as you said, more of how Oklahoma City could win a game or two maybe three i don't think so i think this is more like a six game series but how they could do that as opposed to just being like oh this is a no not not a no chancer but a low chance series
2: yeah i mean i think the the next thing they got to do is just you know keep hardened to like 10 free throws a game instead of like 15 or 20 you know if they could do that i think that they actually as I mentioned, I thought they have some of the personnel to slow this Rockets team down, and, and they did well in that at times. Uh, so I, I think there, there's there's some hope for OKC. I mean, they're not going to win this series, but they can at least make it more competitive, I would say.
1: Sure. And I, I wonder, I'm excited to see whether Quinn Capella doing so well in that fourth quarter, if that will carry over to game three, because he can be an X factor for them in the second round if they face it, the, assuming they're going to face the Spurs.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, with his athleticism some offensive rebounding getting up for some alley-oops in the pick and roll i think that that's something that the spurs could struggle with as well uh so i think that's all i, I have on this one uh, we'll get to atlanta and washington momentarily but first this from a new sponsor audible.com It just so happens, actually, that I have been using Audible basically continuously since about 2005. And that's because audiobooks are fantastic. I mean, really the same reason that you love podcasts. Audiobooks are great. I had a commute. I had chores to do. And being able to listen to a book during that time, you you can enjoy a walk in the park. You enjoy a twist in the plot. Uh, And i've always really enjoyed it especially because i'm uh listening to a couple of books right now actually i just listened to uh brian windhorse's book return to the king on audible that uh, was really good the dulcet tones of windhorse himself actually read that book uh and there are a lot of actually really talented uh windhorse sadly you know maybe not quite among them uh really talented audiobook readers as well so that adds like a, a different element of it as well like i remember i listened to harry potter back in the day and uh, it was read by a guy named jim dale and his his uh uh, his Hermione was pretty funny as, as I recall but nonetheless Audible is just a, a great way to, to listen to books especially if like me a lot of times you just don't have time to read when you're at home or you know I'll be so tired after this I try to read and I fall asleep so it's good to be able to get away uh, from the podcast world, escape into the sci-fi which is what I mostly like to listen to uh, and the way to get started with Audible of course audible.com slash cap space is the url to do that and you can get a free trial so there's no reason to not to try it. They also have this great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book, you can exchange it for uh, any title, anytime, no questions asked. Uh, the other thing that I really like about audible too, and forgive me for rambling, but I, I like the service is if you, uh, they're owned by Amazon. So if you're reading a book on a Kindle, it can actually sync up with this technology called whisper sync. So if you're reading a book on your Kindle and then you want to pick it up in the car as you're leaving in the morning, you can do that. And it'll just automatically send you to the spot, which is pretty sweet. Uh, all right. Audible.com slash cap Again, is that URL easy to remember? Cause we talk about CapSpace all the time in the program, audible.com slash cap Ah, yes. Atlanta and Washington. I think we saw a good reason why this series is on NBA TV.
1: You mean you don't like seeing a game that lasts forever because of incessant fouling?
2: Yeah, I mean, this was, like this game lasted like 20 minutes too long, and I didn't really care for the way it was refereed, to be honest. I mean, the Hawks... 33 out of 38 from the foul line the Wizards 24 out of 33 for themselves I mean this is not like some Hawks team that has all these awesome creators who just blow by you at the basket and you know you have no choice but to follow them and and Paul Millsap in particular was just an eyesore in this game I've been critical of Kevin Love's game and and Paul Millsap uh, just one step behind him just in terms of like not really getting by his guy he'll face up like not really have the guy beat. he will kind of be on his hip and then he's just like oh I'm gonna try and go through his arm and get a foul and he would either get a foul or commit a terrible turnover or like barf up a shot trying to get a foul that was basically like all he was doing and so Millsap did I mean you, you have to give him his his due he was effective he had 27 points uh 14 of 15 from the line six of 14 from the field but he also had five turnovers which you know due in part to a lot of that call season behavior and uh Dennis Schroeder had superficially a good game he started off well but ended only eight out of 21 from the field for his 23 points uh at least avoided turnovers which was good but I thought one of the keys to the game was the fact that the Wizards were able to just go under on him every time and he was only one out of eight on three pointers there was a couple of times where when they went under he was able to get up ahead of steam and, and blow by his guy but those instances were pretty rare and uh Overall, it was just, you know, it was a game effort from a Hawks team that just, you know, I thought struggled. Pretty badly in game one and really struggled a time in this game, too. But uh, I mean, it's clear to me that Washington clearly has a lot more talent than they do. And really, the the biggest thing that kept the Hawks in it was Marcus Morris and Otto Porter combining for only 43 minutes due to uh, really bad foul trouble for those two guys.
1: Yeah, they were both struggling throughout. And while the Wizards have gotten surprisingly good minutes from Jason Smith so far in this series, including a couple of nice stretches yeah.
2: during this game, at, at times, except when he was guarding Millsap he couldn't well, stop yeah, following yeah. Millsap I mean, but you know that's a tough matchup. it's
1: a low bar my friend it's a low yeah, bar no but the, the the wizard's strengths are you know now that they got Boyan, I, I think they're better a little bit better at the guard spots Brandon Jennings has helped out I thought they could have yeah. used more of Kelly Oubre in this game I think it's just because of Atlanta's size they're a little bit intimidated by yeah, that I
2: mean Oubre had four fouls himself you're saying that's Ubre Oubre at the four more you know I, th- I think they did do that uh they and, did it sometimes. I mean, Smith, yeah, Smith has to play backup center as well. He played twenty eight minutes, and and uh, Ubre was negative ten. Uh, Boyan sucked too. He was he was one for seven, and he's never any good on defense. They did get a, a big performance from Brandon Jennings though. Uh, which was key he was plus three and he hit like three tough step backs in a row or two stuff tough step backs in a row and then uh was able to blow by his guy because he just made two shots and and uh set up smith for a dunk uh which was a, a key stretch as atlanta actually had taken a lead late in the third with all those guys in foul trouble and then the wizards you know surged back into control uh with a 35 23 fourth quarter after atlanta had uh done the exact same thing 35 23 to them in the third quarter.
1: We'll have to wait to know for sure until the games in Atlanta. But every year it feels like there's one series that goes on way too long, and you know where where <laughs> it, it feels it feels like you know who's who's gonna how it's gonna turn out earlier. But the other team is competitive; they play hard, and even though they don't have a great chance of winning the series, it ends up going like six. I feel like that's gonna be this series, just because the basketball gods don't want me to be happy all the time. So yeah,
2: Atlanta Brooklyn, I thought was that series like in 2015
1: yeah it was yeah that with that one seven right was it six or seven
2: yeah and then it probably uh it felt no, like a lifetime six. that went that went that went six yeah that that was the series where uh, al horford had five fouls, and so budenholzer like left him out of the game until there was 30 seconds left in the game yep. um uh dwight howard has not played well in this series he was limited by his coach to 20 minutes he was actually plus five as it turned out he was on the floor as they made a little bit of that run with some of the good guys for the Wizards out in the third quarter. But uh, early on in the first quarter, they tried to post him up all times and he was just getting blocked by Gortat or just you know, the throwing up terrible shots. He had three turnovers, uh, four fouls. And defensively, I thought he was a liability because he was just used to be one of the best pick and roll defenders in basketball years ago. And those days are long behind him now because he just hangs way back in the pick and roll. And he's just, he's not interested in kind of fainting out and making someone feel him. Like, so if you get a good screen on uh, and a lot of times it was tim hardaway in this circumstance who i thought had a, a poor game as well he couldn't get over a screen and uh he finished a little bit hotter but you know it was way off for a lot of the game um but especially defensively at that combination was just giving up wide open mid ranges. We we're talking about like 20 footers we're talking about like from the free throw line because howard was hanging that far back and those are really easy shots for any NBA player
1: and I think that helped fuel some of what, what Beal did as well. And we also saw a little bit in this game of Bazemore playing the one. And he, I he, I mean, it was part of the reason he got run out of, of Golden State, even though he did a, you know, he had a nice role. he was popular when the team was that they wanted him to be a primary ball handler, to be their backup point guard. And he couldn't do that. And he had some better stretches in this. I'm not trying to kill him for that. But it's just not what, it's not his best role offensively.
2: Yeah, he gave up three pick sixes in this game just turnovers where he either just threw it away uh or got stripped and you know it was just a layup for the other team so that that was not good at all uh but i, I understand why bud wanted to do that because calderon really is not any good defensively I don't understand why they can't play Malcolm delaney like i thought he was fine like his he doesn't shoot very well from the field but they always seem to play fine when he was on the floor this year so i don't know why and then they went to calderon who Uh, really just provides nothing defensively and uh, you know he'll make a wide open shot but that's about all he's got at at this point because he's he's a good passer but he can't even like get even some modicum of penetration to like open anything up for his passes I did think that The Hawks found a little bit with a lineup with Dunleavy at the three, Ilyasova at the four, and Muscala at the five, going against some of Atlanta's bench units. And that's a lineup that, in theory, has a lot of shooting on the floor. Dunleavy, oddly, only was given six minutes, most of it at the end of the first quarter. He was plus nine and then was never brought back in. Now, he didn't actually score, but he just moves the ball. He knows where to be. He provides some spacing. I mean, they really... Don't have a lot of shooting on this team, and they're four out of twenty on three pointers in in this game. uh Hardaway was two out of four, and he's really the only guy that anyone respects from three on this team, other than maybe Dunleavy uh, and Ilyasova. So, I think they need to mix those guys in a, a little bit more. And meanwhile, uh Cephalosha, who you know was coming back from that groin injury, he only played four minutes in this one too, which was a, a little bit odd to see. I thought Torian Prince played well. Uh, at times he played 30 minutes in this one like that's encouraging uh but you know he only took one three-pointer out of out of his eight shots so they just they aren't getting enough spacing especially when you consider that they can just go under on shooter whenever they want and, and i mean they're not going to get 38 free throw attempts in the next game
1: hopefully not <laughs>
2: uh john wall was again spectacular in this one 32 points uh and uh, nine assists on 27 shooting possessions and four turnovers but not bad considering his usage and then brad beal 42 minutes 31 points for him so they combined for 63 wasn't incredibly efficient uh, beal and he actually shot poorly from the free throw line only three out of six but uh, especially considering that morris and porter uh were able to play so little that was huge and then marcin gortat also uh blocked a ton of shots early in the game, had six offensive rebounds, including some key ones, and uh, 14 points for him on seven to 10 from the field.
1: I talked a little bit about how I don't necessarily want this series to go long, but how are you feeling as we move? I always feel like the 2-3 transition is an interesting one in a series like this because you have a sense of where things are, but then you get you know a lot of advantages switching at the same time. My instinct is that Atlanta is going to pull at least one of these two at home, but I'm not sure it's going to be both.
2: Yeah, that seems right to me. I mean, they could, but I, I do think that especially down the stretch, when the Wiz go to their starters against and and, You know, who's going to close these games a lot of times? I mean, they had to, they closed it with Mike Muscala, who you know provided a little bit of something, but he's a poor defensive rebounder, uh, was one of six from the field today. And I mean, he's not a starting caliber player, uh, he's decent for what he is. I think he should get an okay contract in free agency as a backup, but and then they haven't got much out of Howard. So, uh, Schroeder, I mean, he started four of seven and then he ended the game four out of 14. Uh, not a reliable shooter. I mean, Millsap is really kind of the their only guy that you look at is really someone who is as good as any of the Washington starters. And uh, while they do defend pretty well, uh, the Hawks, they don't defend well enough against uh, like that great Washington starting unit. And so, uh, and this would have been a total blowout if uh, Morris and Porter hadn't gotten into foul trouble. I mean, those guys were plus 16 and plus 19 in, in like 20 minutes apiece. Yeah. So I, I could see this being asleep, a sweep. And uh, frankly, I hope that it is because I, as you, We talked about this when we were watching the game together at Oracle. I mean, I hope that Paul Millsap ends up somewhere else.
1: It isn't as stark for me, mostly because it's one guy versus a couple. As as the idea that has also been articulated about the Clippers being more interesting if their guys are on other teams. But Millsap on this team, we we know what that is, and different combinations. I've talked about the idea of him being on Denver as intriguing, just because he still has defensive value, and I think that fit with Jokic sure. would be exciting. But the Hawks are just kind of in the they're in this place, and it's concerning because they also have a fair amount of money, not an obscene amount of money, but a fair amount of money committed to those other players and what they need beyond those guys and so i'll i'll use that to talk about schroeder Baysmore, and howard are probably the most prominent guys that they have long-term money tied up in what you need outside of them is basically everything that makes the team exciting
2: yeah that's true and i think you know prince really impressed me like he
1: yeah i like him
2: it has. He had some nice finishes. I was uh, I, just his athleticism was was good. He had a couple of plays where moving his feet, he really cut guys off impressively to the point where you think maybe he could even like you could put him on point guards at times if you wanted to. Um, so that's nice. But you know, Prince is never going to be a star, uh, and I do think coach bud because he's a coach they almost need to be just like shocked into realizing that hey oh yeah i know you were the fifth seed but you had a the worst point differential of any playoff team and you're not close to doing anything and you're not going to have any cap space if you re-sign milsap so guess what like you need to rebuild i know you're like all worried about your market like they're not going to support you or whatever but you know you can't i mean they're probably if they continue down this path unless Schroeder can take like a monster step forward next year it's hard for me to imagine them even necessarily being a playoff team and so I think they need to just kind of be shocked into hey we got to really go down a different path I mean they've kind of been able to reload and and keep finding guys uh, but you know they just don't have enough star power and and What star power they do have is Paul Millsap and, you know, he's going to be 32. And so you can't, I mean, I think they need to trade Howard while they can and they need to move on from Millsap and then just see what they can kind of fill in around those guys and get a little higher in the draft, try to get some some prospects.
1: Can you imagine being the coach slash GM of this team and trading away everybody so what you're left with is Dennis Schroeder? Like, yeah, has anybody made their own difficult. life more miserable than that would do?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I might even try to trade Schroeder if you can. But, uh you know, I mean, he is on a cheap-ish contract if somebody believes him. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure who that would be. So uh, enough about that. I mean, I, I do think that the Hawks are very likely to lose this series. And I think it'll probably go five uh, w- would be my pick for it at this point but yeah it's uh not looking good for them and and i frankly it's gotten to the point where you know i I do think that bud gets a lot out of these guys but you know i don't really enjoy watching them that much i mean especially because you know they give it to Millsap and and his attempts to create i mean he's just not that player uh who's should be creating one-on-one and but you know they need him to do that and that's why you lead to this kind of you know either foul or screw up uh approach really from him it seems like So, all right, let's uh, move on to Golden State and Portland. But first, this from CISO. CISO puts you on the guest list for exclusive comedy shows from today's top talent. Of late, they have new specials from Sashir Zamata and Gina Yashir. So you get a lot of these exclusive shows. You also get unlimited access to Late Night, The Next Day, British cult comedy, and binge-worthy classics. This is what I like the most about it. 42 seasons of SNL, all 42 seasons, and the entire Monty Python catalog. In fact, uh, the copy that they gave me is highlighted in blue. No yellow! You can also get access to tons of CISO original series, Harman Quest, bajillion dollar properties, all on demand and commercial free. You can access them anytime, anywhere on almost any device. And it's much more economical than any other streaming service, just $3.99 a month. You can get brand new stand-up specials or some of your favorite sets from favorites like Louis C.K., Amy Schumer, and Hannibal Buress. we you get started with them, CISO.com, S-E-E-S-O.com right now and you can get two weeks free using the promo code cap space at checkout easy to remember cap space because we talk about it all the time on the program that's cso.com s-e-e-s-o.com promo code cap space so my biggest takeaway from this Golden State Portland game, I, I don't know if you agreed with this while you were watching it. I've never seen and, and especially cuz Portland has some really good offensive players. I've never seen a team that like wasn't playing hard enough on offense until today and it really seemed like that it seemed like Portland just like wanted these possessions to be over as fast as possible. Like they weren't really working for good shots. They're trying to run all their flare screen stuff and Golden State was just shutting it down. It, And, you know, CJ was throwing some pretty like lazy passes. Like he had this one just left-handed pass that he just threw out of bounds, sort of like wasn't even really like engaged in the possession. Like Dame Lillard pulled up for some really bad threes. Uh, including one memorable series where he pulled up for a 34 that just bricked off like the heel, the rim and like the backboard. And then Steph came down and was like, oh, no, no, this is actually how you pull up from 30 and he made it. Um, But it really looked like a demoralized Blazers group. And that was a surprise to me because I felt like they could have a chance in this one, especially on offense with a bunch of the Warriors wing sized guys out of the game.
1: My interpretation was that it was more an execution issue than an effort issue. Like, they just had some bad passes. Like, the one that I thought of was... I can't remember who was posting up, and Al Aminu had to do the entry pass and just completely messed it up, and... He I can understand why Alfaru Camino would not be great at that. It's not something that he's been asked to do a ton in his career off the top of my head. But I think that your the narrative of this game was was strange and surprising because this looked like a, a real chance for Portland. I mean, they had a, a close it was a close game. Yeah, they got incredible performances in game one from Lillard and McCollum. But the Warriors were playing not only without Kem Durant, but without Matt Barnes and without Sean Livingston. And so kind of thought, okay, well, they're putting a lot of strain. The expectation was, you know, oh, they're going to put a lot of strain on Steph, they're going to put a lot of strain on Clay. a lot of strain on Draymond, and Iguodala, presumably all of those guys. None of those players played more than 31 minutes in this game. And partially that's because it was over by the start of the fourth quarter. But There were two kind of definitive stretches of this game. One was after the Blazers took a 9-2 lead, the Warriors went on a 20-2 run where you're just kind of sitting there going, oh yeah, this is is the team that we thought they could be. They looked like that a lot of the time when Durant was out, actually. And then the other one was just that third quarter where Portland, and they needed a couple late baskets to get here. They got to 12 points. It was a 28-12 quarter. And while this is not a Warriors podcast, I just like this little piece of trivia that- it's tied for the least points the Warriors have allowed in a quarter of a playoff game ever with a definitive quarter on their way to the 75 title.
2: Yeah, that's actually, this isn't a Bulls podcast either, but that was the, the Bulls had a lead in that and uh, ended up, I, I watched that one time and, you know, like Jerry Sloan is so known as like just like such a heady player and he just like barfed up a bunch of like really terrible shots i'm stealing that term by the way from from zach low especially talking about shots when players are just like trying to get fouled on jumpers but uh he he and norm van Leer just took a bunch of like terrible shots as they ended up losing that game on the road and The legendary story behind that from Sam Smith is that Dick Mata, the coach at the time, after that game was over, they lost it on the road, blamed I think it was Bob Love and Norm Van Leer, uh, for holding out at the start of the year, and he said if those guys didn't hold out, we would have had home court. So look at those guys for why we lost. Unsurprisingly, that Bulls team was never really heard from again because they all just hated Mata. Uh, but that's an aside. One thing that I really stuck out for me the most in this game was the Blazers' 7 out of 34, three-point shooting. And the guys that I knew they are going to, and they hit a couple early, but in general, these guys were going to be allowed to shoot threes. It was Moe Harkless, one out of five. Evan Turner, one out of four. Al who made his first one, but was one out of three. Uh, Alan Crabb, who actually, you know, you would think would make those shots, he was three for 10, 05 from three, only had six points. You know, he, he is someone who has to play well in this series, especially if they're going to play small. I mean, and that's the other problem, for the Blazers that stuck out to me was Noah Vonley was negative 29 in 19 minutes. And, you know, really it was probably negative 29 in about 10 minutes because he played a lot of uh, garbage time as well. Um, And so the, they spent, they're able to get back into it with Harkless and Aminu at the four and five, but, you know, you had to play their centers at some point and, you know, that those guys are just massive liabilities against this Warriors team. And that also throws out to me, Just, you know, Noah Vonley actually played some pretty good games down the end of the season. And he it's just such a step up in competition, not only against the Warriors, but just in general in the playoffs that, you know, guys weaknesses get exacerbated. And this is something that you said a lot where. know, it it seems to me like the regular season sometimes is about guys' strengths, and then the postseason is about guys' weaknesses sometimes.
1: It certainly can be true, and one of the most surprising developments for me, even though I've watched so much of this team, has been that JaVale McGee's defense has gotten way better. You know, it wasn't great all of Shockingly better, yeah. And his rim protection was good, he was better in terms of his pick and roll, and the idea, you and I have talked about it at length, you know, even though we only talk. about about The Warriors sparingly on dunked on that Javale McGee's offense. The team was so good there that it 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 superseded his defensive shortcomings. And as that calculus has shifted, he's become a more and more valuable player. And then the other guy who I feel like we need to discuss from this game—crazy that it's not any of their three All-Stars, though all of them were fine—was Patrick McCaw. McCaw got the start instead of Durant, and in this particular series, in this particular matchup, he fits in well because he can guard either of their stars and then that can move Steph Curry into some other spots and he didn't have to get into foul trouble.
2: It was easily the best game of McCaw's career to me. He played, although he did play garbage time, What I'm sure he played what I'm sure is a career high 34 minutes and wasn't incredibly efficient. He took a couple of shots in garbage time too, but uh, plus 27 for McCaw, which was third on the team. And on both ends he was very impressive on defense especially he switched on to dame lillard and he's got the cause some really quick feet great hands as we know great anticipation there's one play where lillard blew by him and McCaw came back and just like blocked his shot in the air, like very impressive play. And, and I was staying next to McCaw as he was being interviewed in the locker room. And I, you know, he, he he's always, when you're in the locker room, it's kind of hard to see how tall guys are sometimes because, you know, they're just kind of like leaning over in their locker or something. You don't stand right next to him. Like he's like a legit, probably six, five and a half, or, or probably like six, six and a half, six, seven. And, and he's got pretty long arms. And I also was really impressed with him offensively in a couple of ways. know we fretted a little bit about his three-point shooting but he showed impressive explosion to the rim in this one like impressive acceleration and you know obviously it wasn't a blazers team that had a ton of rim protection they aminu and and harkless actually did a great job in the first half uh, combining for five blocks but after that weren't able to do much and so macaw's ability to turn on the jets there uh was impressed with then he also had another play where he cut in the lane on CJ McCollum and faked him out of his shoes with with a pump fake and scored over him and actually uh the soft spoken McCollum had a little bit to say to CJ after that too so it was uh you know I think overall it was, it was a very demoralizing loss for the Blazers you know Dame Lillard said afterwards that yeah you know it's 2-0 they don't count the score of these first two games uh, but I, I think the Blazers had some confidence after the first game because Dame and CJ played so well and they felt like hey at least you know we might lose we might be outgunned in this series but we're at least gonna like go down guns blazing and like us two are gonna play really well and we can feel good about that and then in this game they combined for nine out of 34 from the field and, and only 23 points after putting up 75 combined points in the game one
1: in game one portland had 88 points at the end of the third quarter in this game they had 58
2: yeah a 73 offensive rating through three quarters for the blazers damn so yeah and part of it again was some bad blazers offense part of it was just not making shots um but i thought they especially in the first half they defended pretty well yeah i thought Uh, so too and the aminu and harkless were were heroic but you know that couldn't be sustained in, in that third quarter Um, Uh, But considering, like, the number... Yeah, go ahead.
1: Something else we should mention is that Aminu basically pulled a a titch in that first half where he didn't start the game and then played almost the entire rest of it.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think he played 17 straight minutes uh, and then Sots didn't go that way once it kind of got out of hand in in the second half. What did you think of Steph Curry's game? I thought it was... Uh, just about as aggressive as I've ever seen him, uh, and not necessarily to his credit, although he still, of course, was a game-high plus 32.
1: Yeah, he was certainly aggressive in terms of looking for his own shot. There were a couple of moments that looked you know, kind of like the last couple of years where he was trying to like shake and bake on a guy and then ended up pulling up. Sometimes he would drive, but usually he would pull up. One where he basically looked off and opened Clay Thompson in transition and made the three. But I also thought defensively, he was more engaged and also because he spent a little bit less time on the on Lillard and McCollum was making less stupid fouls and was doing a better job there was something that uh, I was listening to in the postgame they were talking about the idea of space and that they were giving the Blazers less space particularly their guards and while Curry is not the Warriors best defender by a long shot I thought he did a much better job of that whereas in the first game he helped create some of the seams that they used to their advantage
2: yeah that's so too. and then uh, Zaza Pachulia also was excellent in this one Mm -hmm. he was five of five from the field during the competitive portion of the game and in his minutes they played pretty well also Uh, so getting what they did from he and McGee who I agree I mean the way he's protected the rim in these first two games has been the best I've ever seen from me I I was critical of his ability to protect the rim all season and how he just you know never seemed to live up to his tools just guys in the his vicinity were just able to score like most uh, recently Shelvin Mack in that game against the Jazz scored over him at the rim like five times uh but in this game he's been so fired up I mean he's Someone who I thought the, the playoff crowd was pretty good today in Oracle. I, I thought he was someone who really benefits a lot from that and, and uh, plays harder in those circumstances, and, and it helps him. And, and it helped, too, that he could just guard Aminu or, or Vonley. Neither of those guys are, are really a shooting threat at all, and that's really his biggest problem is he can't you know guard anybody on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, this is a rosier matchup in that sort of way. I mean, you do worry about his coverage on the guards. He's done a better job than expected, but never know if that's going to carry over to the next series assuming the Warriors make it which I think is a fair assumption right now. And another thing that I don't think we have to talk about this long, I I've talked about it a little bit on locked on Warriors is that I feel like the dominance of this win makes it less likely that the that Kevin Durant will play in game 3. I don't know, the injury will always take precedent yeah. and you know, T- he's, Tim kawakami
2: he's... reported as much actually that he he said that that uh, he Durant uh you know very well could not play in game 3 and, and to We didn't see, I I was at practice today they had like these like blinds down in the training room where the the normally you can just see in there so i think he probably was getting worked out. we didn't see him out on the floor at all doing shooting so it was very clear that he was going to get ruled out sam amick reported that earlier in the day and it just felt like that too and, and then you know we didn't really even see him around he wasn't on the bench either uh, so you have to wonder about you know maybe he's getting treatment or something but you, you have to wonder uh about him for game three they do have two days off but there's no reason to bring him back and of course you know we said that calf injuries can, uh, of course, linger.
1: And the Warriors are very familiar with the idea of being patient with their guys and having faith in it. And we'll see if Yusuf Nurkic comes back. This also, to me, affects that logic. I've talked about the importance of that first summer in a new system. If what you're trying to do with Nurkic is give your home crowd a boost and maybe pull one or maybe even two games in the series, I don't think that's enough of an upside, personally.
2: Uh, I agree with you. And I mean, after they just got smacked in this game, I think they're under no illusion. I do think Nurkic, especially if the Warriors, are Livingston, Barnes, who I, I saw walking around the locker room, he was still walking with a limp, it looked like, uh, as well. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say, get a feeling that his return is necessarily imminent either. But, Uh, you know, Nurkic could help them so much offensively because they just have no bigs who can finish in the paint on the pick and roll right now. Uh, and and no bigs who even can set a good screen either. You know, Nurkic sets great screens, and uh, especially once when Patchouli or McGee is in the game, I think they could put help Dame and CJ put those guys under a lot more pressure in the pick and roll. Um, so maybe he could help them and you know I, I would be shocked if they win more than one one game at home and then you know they're going to get closed out in five you, you would think almost certainly so i agree i mean with the his injury history his size his importance of the franchise importance to the franchise going forward you know it's kind of just like not really worth it <laughs> frankly uh you know for a guy with a, a fracture in his tibia you know do you really want to go down that road of, of you know lower body stress fractures with a, a big who weighs you know two hundred 75 pounds Agreed are we done here
1: yeah but we should tell people about that we're going to do the twitter nba show second screen for tomorrow's action which is fun because the game we're both looking forward to the most is the game that's on nba tv but you can still follow along with us okay then that game is the raptors bucks game which i'm actually really pumped for i think that could be a really fun one
2: yeah that series has been very enjoyable to me so far a lot of players that i like watching in in that series and also we'll be back saturday and sunday as needed i mean if there's going to be four games on each of those days you know we'll probably do a similar schedule to what we did last last week where and and with the warriors on the road neither of us are going to portland so we'll be able to uh check in with you live on video throughout uh saturday and sunday as well friday we will be taking off however uh and there will of course be a dunk done tomorrow night as well so thanks so much for listening our sponsors today audible audible.com slash capspace to start your free trial and see so use that capspace code to get two weeks free uh uh, and then only a mere three ninety nine per month thereafter uh,
0: with CISO S E E S O. Touch to all next time at Bet three six five. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three point at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet three six five.